Coming up on golf today, what have we learned from the PGA Tour players meeting yesterday in Delaware? What role did Tiger Woods play? We have an update from the BMW Championship in moments. And are you buying or selling this run by Will Zalatoris? Is he the man to beat in the FedEx Cup playoffs? And will he end 2023 with a major and the number one ranking in the world? Plus a preview of the match play upcoming at the U.S. Amateur at Ridgewood in New Jersey. We have the names and the stories behind Generation Next. Coverage on Peacock and Golf Channel today. Till then, we have three hours of power. It's called Golf Today. Golf Today. Brought to you by PointsBet. Golf today on a Wednesday, Damon Hack alongside Eamon Lynch of Golf Week Magazine. Usually we talk about birdies and bogeys. I've never recalled a time when a meeting carried such weight. And a meeting that no one seems to really want to talk about. I, I woke up this morning expecting to find lots of news stories out there about who said what, what happened, what went down. Thank God we've got Kira K. Dixon who's out there to actually get news on the ground for us because the players are being very tight-lipped. It's like a meeting of the five families. It, it yeah. is. Fascinating time. It's what's been a fascinating year. At this point, nothing will surprise me. Any development that happens as far as professional golf is concerned. No, but the, the overwhelming sense that this meeting leaves is that what, while the game is divided at a 30,000-foot view, yeah. the players who were in that room last night seem pretty united. And that, if you're Jay Monaghan, that's probably what you want to hear. The room where it happened, the room where it happened. In case you missed it, believe it or not, there was a Tiger Woods siding in Delaware on Tuesday. The 15-time major champ flew up to Wilmington yesterday from Florida to attend this player meeting to discuss the future of the PGA Tour. With more, we welcome in Kira K. Dixon, who is in Wilmington, Delaware. Kira, great to see you. You spoke to a player who was in the meeting. What did he say was discussed? Well, this meeting, Damon, took place yesterday at the Hotel DuPont from 5 to 8.30 p.m. Tiger Woods was, of course, in attendance, along with 22 players total. Now, this was comprised of the 11 players that started the series of discussion at the Adair Manor in Ireland for the J.P. McManus Pro-Am. And those 11 players decided to bring in 11, 11 additional players that they chose based on world ranking and their overall uh, assets and what they're able to offer the PGA Tour. So Ricky Fowler, as an example, was in the room as well. Now, I asked this player how Jay Monahan feels about these sorts of meetings, and he said Jay is, is glad that we're able to come together and speak in this way. This is our tour, and we should be advocates of it. Now, when it comes to the takeaways, Damon, there were really two main things. One is that the best players in the world should be playing against each other far more often. Uh, right now, between the majors and a few of the elevated events, they're really only seeing each other on a consistent basis six to seven times a year so for them to only be playing against one another 30 percent of the time on the pga tour they feel that that hurts their product and they also care a lot about making sure the new faces in golf make it to the pga tour faster the player i talked to said why do they have to play on the corn ferry tour for a year now those original 11 players felt that there was a ton of great buy-in and positive energy from the new 11 players that joined them in that room and he said that they felt like they have 
very actionable steps and solid decisions that were made that they will then bring to PGA Tour executives. Now, this player also told me that when it comes to live players outside of majors that they might qualify for based on their official world golf rankings, he does not see a scenario for him where he would ever tee it up in a professional tour event uh, against a live defector. Wow, ton of great information here. Can you tell us about Tiger's role in yesterday's meeting? Well, of course, Damon, for the past 25 years, Tiger's role has very much been focusing on playing golf. And as that has evolved, he's not playing as much golf. He's very much focused on his legacy and lending his very powerful voice at a very important time in the game. And I, when I talked to one player, he looked around and he said, look at all these build outs. Tiger Woods built this and he wants to make sure the place he built continues to be the strongest place on the PGA Tour and that 50 years from now, they will not be running into challenges like they are running into today. So, Kara, what happens next? <laughs> That's the million-dollar question, Damon. Uh, I, I think that it's very important that they, they continue to have the, these discussions, and you and I will continue to see how it plays out. But it is encouraging to see how passionate these players are about their collective value in, in what they're able to do for the game of golf and the future of the PGA Tour. Kira K. Dixon reporting for us in Wilmington, Delaware, this afternoon. And folks, Justin Thomas met the media earlier today and was asked about last night's select player-only meeting, including the appearance of Tiger Woods. Justin, assuming you're not going to provide us with the meeting minutes, uh, but could you at least describe the, the tenor of the, the conversation last night? Yeah, I mean, I'm not obviously going to talk about very much. I mean, it was a, it was a productive meeting. I mean, it's just something that... Uh, you know, the players who are involved just want the best for the tour and, and want what's in the best interest. And I think it's uh, it's just one of those things where we all want what's best for the players. And, um, and you know, we're working to do that. Having Tiger in the room and, and the effort to get here and all that. Yeah, that's huge. And I think if, if someone like him is passionate about it, that's... Um, I mean, no offense to all of us, but that's really all that matters. Um, you know, if he's not behind something, then one, it's probably not a good idea in terms of the betterment of the game. But uh, two, it's just not going to work. <laughs> I mean, he he needs to be behind something, and um, you know, I think he's he's been a great kind of leading role and in a lot of ways in the game for a lot of us. Tiger could probably join that meeting via Zoom or conference call or what have you. The fact that he made the effort to come, um, why do you think he did that, and what do you think it? What, what do you think the impact was? I, I think he came because it was very important to him. It, it, you know, probably was just not something that he felt was um, appropriate to do over a Zoom or or just to call in. And I think it shows how passionate he is about about golf and, and wanting to improve it and. Um, and paving the way for the next generation of, uh, of young players to come out, you know, down the road. Words and thoughts of the two-time PGA Championship winner. This is a fascinating, really unprecedented time in the game. Your thoughts, first of all, on kind of Tiger's appearance and maybe where we do go from here. That's a, a pretty seismic change in this whole debate, to my mind, Damon, because what we've had so far is on one side, Greg Norman taking shots at Jay Monaghan. Jay Monaghan, regardless of whether you think he's a good commissioner or not, 
is people don't rally around the corporate head of an entity. They, they just simply don't. Tiger Woods is now the face of the resistance to live golf, along with Rory McIlroy and, and Justin Thomas and others who have made statements or taken that public mantle in the past. But Tiger Woods has now become the face of the resistance to Greg Norman. And I think that's an enormous change in how this will actually be perceived among fans. Because as we know, for 25 years, the Tiger's been in the public eye. He's resisted taking on any role that had any kind of quasi-political element to it all, either within golf or outside of golf. It's never been his thing. And now he's actually taken on this mantle of leadership. He is the elder statesman in the game. He's doing what Arnold Palmer and Jack Nicklaus did in 1994, the last time Greg Norman tried to dismantle the world of professional golf to reshape it for his own ego. Well, I think Tiger's uh, appearance is symbolic and even beyond that. But let's talk about some of the nuts and bolts of the meeting and wanting the best players to play more. In some ways, I think it's an old conversation, Eamon, with new voices. You know, you mentioned 1994 and Greg Norman, so what's the tour do? You know, the, the World Golf Championships with the other, you know, stakeholders and tours in the game. And, and I thought they had some great World Golf Championship events and still do. Tiger won 18 of those, by the way. But then you also had some weeks that, let's be honest, were kind of flat. And maybe some of the players didn't want to travel to this part of the world or yeah. that part of the world. So it's one thing to say, yeah, I want to play against the best players in the world. Then we have the appearance of the FedEx Cup, you know, in the mid-2000s, 2007 it begins. And, and then, you know, that's because Tiger and Phil really stopped playing the Tour Championship in the mid-2000s. You know, after the major championships, we just didn't see the best players in the world. I think it's one thing to say it, but these, at the end of the day, I mean, they're independent contractors, and it's hard to say you're going to get Tiger and Rory or Rory and JT. We're guaranteed Yankees, Red Sox every year. You're going to get the Cowboys in Washington or the Giants and the Eagles or the Dodgers and the San Francisco Giants. In golf, it's hard to guarantee and legislate Rory McIlroy versus John Rahm on a Sunday. And that's a problem for sponsors as much as it is for Jay Monahan. What's the product that you can guarantee? Uh, because they are independent contractors, you can never really guarantee who's going to show up right. on any given week to play. That's clearly something the players are conscious of as well, particularly the one who spoke to Kira, who pointed out that the top players don't play against each other often enough. Yeah. And, you know, we talked about the, the, the World Golf Championships. That was their idea initially of spreading the gospel of golf around the world. That's not what it's about anymore. It's, it's the PR problem we hear from live all the time but these guys are now talking here about making the best product they can from a pga tour mm. standpoint they're not talking about global golf they're right. talking about the world as in the world's best players yeah because they're all here and I, I think they're being opportunistic at this point which is what they have to be they have to kind of take ownership to some degree and push it the tour in the direction that's going to keep them there yes and that's the key it, that's not really within the gift of, of Jay Monaghan. It's within the gift of the players to say, this is what the PGA Tour needs to look like to A, be a good product, yeah. and to B, keep us here. And because the PGA Tour is a member-led organization, you know, the vote of a guy who's never won anything or never sold a ticket counts as much as the vote of a Tiger Woods. That has always been the friction in the PGA Tour, is the lower orders against the elite. And each side thinks the Tour is too skewed oh, to the benefit sure. of the other side. Even Phil Mickelson, you know, back in the day, you know, he's saying, listen, why am I playing in the fall when these players in the 100 to 125 are scooping up FedEx Cup points or Ryder Cup points, as it were, and I, and I, and I want to 
take December off. I want to take November and October off. So this is, I mean, Ben Hogan back in the day, he was the one who said, you know, we should have a cutoff on players who should get paid. And it was Doug Ford who at first said, you're crazy. And then Doug Ford ended up ultimately agreeing with him. It's always been an argument between the haves and the have-nots. Eamon, I just want to know, since this was a players-only meeting, what the players in this player-run organization will come up with to try to legislate, guarantee fans us see more of the best players in the world together. Because we've talked about it for, for decades and decades in this game. And there's going to be a difference between what we heard from Kira there in terms of policies versus sentiment. In the policies right. where they said we, we want a, a faster pathway right. for the new young talents onto the PGA Tour, that they don't have to go to the Corn Ferry Tour, that might get a little bit of political resistance even within the tour. You're probably talking about a very small number of people. How do you identify right. the guys who benefit from that? So that's the kind of thing that has to be worked out. On the sentiment side of things, this idea that we don't, outside of majors, we don't ever want to play with live guys. Mm. Again, that's not something you're likely to ever hear any tour executive voice in public because if you that gets you close to this whole idea of lifetime bans Correct. and there's a legal implication to that. So even if that is the sentiment among players that we don't want these guys to ever have a pathway back, how much that could ever be formalized is very much debatable. Well said. And I want to go back to what you said at the top, just the appearance of Tiger Woods there, you know, with all this back and forth with the TRO and, and the corporate suits, as you called them, for him, as Justin Thomas was asked about to fly up where he could have done a Zoom from his couch, you know he doesn't walk very well, to be in that room and to lend his voice to what is a fight has to be huge to rally the PGA Tour players into cause that they believe is right. It's certainly a big statement to have Tiger in that room. And one other guy who was in that room was coming off his first win on the PGA Tour, Will Zalatoris. He now sits in pole position in the FedEx Cup race. We play a little game of buy or sell Zalatoris edition. Paige McKenzie, right after the break. Golf Today, brought to you by PointsBet. This season, don't just bet, live your bet life. And Wind Grips, the best grips in golf. And by Zexio, experience light, experience easy. Zexio, experience the difference. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. 
The BMW Championship has been played at Wimbledon Country Club this week, marking the first time this event has been held in the state of Delaware. All 67 players in the field will have to learn the course quickly if they want to advance to the Tour Championship for a chance to win the FedEx Cup. And here's a few notes about Wilmington Country Club's South Course, designed by Robert Trent Jones Sr. and open for play October 8th, 1959. Par 71, and it's 7,500 yards, and a few extra on top, renovated by Keith Foster back in 2008. Earlier this week, a few players talked about the golf course. Incredible, I've never been here before. It's my first time at Delaware. This is a, this is a big boy golf course. I mean, 7,500 yards, all, all, of the, all three of the par fives are, basically not reachable um huge sloping greens um you know if i were to design a golf course this is probably how i would design it for me so i'm i'm very excited obviously uh, my first time around this place but um I, the other part too is what an incredible build out on the last five six holes this is going to be a really fun um really fun experience coming down the stretch obviously i played the palmer cup here in 20 uh 12 or 2013 I did not remember the severity of the greens. I, I think once I got to the hole, I was like, okay, I remember this hole and um, a little bit here and there, but I, I do not remember the greens at all. They are very severe. They have a lot of slope. It's gonna be very important leaving it in the right spots and not missing it in the incorrect spots. Um, and, the, and the greens are so good that if you do put it in good spots on the greens, you can make a lot of putts, but it's gonna be a place where you really have to kind of plot your way around to a lot of easy holes and a lot of really difficult holes. So. Just kind of picking your spots. So do you think the greens are the best defense at this golf course? I do, yeah. The, the rough is very spotty. You have, at least I've noticed you have some times where you have really good lies and then you have times where you're just trying to hit it 60, 70 yards down the fairway. So it's going to be a little bit of luck in that regard. But, um, you know, I think it has a potential to, especially the weather stays like this and the greens can get a little firmer and faster. It's, it's going to be a good test. This golf course is definitely, just like last year, extremely distance biased. You got to hit it as far as you can and hit a lot of fairways. Uh, this course is a little narrower than last year, um, and you know I think most times you see when guys win they just get hot with a putter, which I did last year. Um, you know a good recipe is top of the way in driving and top of the way in putting, um, and so these greens are in really good shape. And if you get the ball online and read it right, it should go in almost every time. Some pretty cool tee times you'll see. Now we're down. To pairings as opposed to groupings. You've got Xander and Patrick Cantley. We're talking about like SoCal Bros, Ryder Cup partners, Zurich champs as well. Sam Burns and Tony Fina, five wins between them this season. Justin Thomas, Sung JM, a couple of Honda Classic champs. Rory McIlroy and Sepp Straka, also a couple of Honda Classic champs. And Will Zalator, Scotty Scheffler, five wins between them. They're one and two in the standings. A couple of Texans and good. Friends. Now, speaking of Zalatoris, why don't we flash back to Sunday, Amen. FedEx St. Jude Championship, first leg of the playoffs, sun going down, Memphis crowd fired up, third playoff hole. This looks like a little ping-pong action right here. Oh. How that stayed up, Sepp Straka will never know. <laughs> you got that, and after that long deliberation, he elected to play. The shot from the drop area, Sepp was making a mess, he hit his tee shot in the water, but able to get up and down from this spot. I thought that was pretty cool, pretty sporty. It was pretty clutch from here. This was the putt here. Such a big talking point in the game. Maybe not anymore. First PGA Tour win, 56 start. And you may recall, very emotional afterwards in that interview with our 
own Rex Hager, but another talking point was just where his ball ended up. So the good folks at FedEx St. Jude Championship had some folks try to hit the shot. <laughs> what a great laugh, by the way. Yeah, that ball ended up in the water. So it makes you think that Will made the right choice, Eamon? I'm going to say Will might have put a slightly better swing on it yeah. than the, than the guinea right. pig here who's got the misfortune of trying to hit that shot. No doubt. Fun to see the FedEx St. Jude. That's what we would do. Having some fun. I know that I would have ended up in the water. Let's go back to Wilmington now. Kira Kate Dixon joins us once again. Kira, what a week it has been for Will Zalatoris. You spoke to him earlier today. Is he still riding high from that Sunday? Oh, yeah, he's definitely riding high. He's just so excited that he was finally able to raise a, tr a trophy on the PGA Tour last Sunday in Memphis. Uh, it was so dramatic, the playoff against Sepp Straka. And when I spoke with him earlier this morning, he described it as a vindicating win. I don't think it'll sink in until after Eastlake. Um, you know, it's been uh, a long time coming. Um, we properly celebrated, obviously, and uh, it's... Uh, it's exciting, but obviously the job's not done. We got two important weeks ahead of us. What does a proper celebration look like? Uh, honestly, it's not as fun as you think. It was just kind of everyone kind of uh, kind of reflecting and hanging out over a couple drinks and uh, some late night pizza after the tournament. So it was uh, it was a lot of fun to have uh, have everyone there. And um, my family came in this week, and so we're uh, it's obviously nice to see them. To get the win, how much of a relief has that been for you? Yeah, you know, it's, it, it like I said, it kind of hasn't hit me. I mean, I, I like I said, I feel like I have some more unfinished business. I've been so close so many times that it's, okay, we got the first one. And so um, I'm already looking forward to trying to get that second one. But um, being that close for that long, um, it's it, it feels so sweet. So um, obviously uh, to do it the way that I did was a little more dramatic than what I, than what I would have liked. But um, I'll take it considering how close I've been. You make a certain putt and you yell, what are they going to say now? In that moment, did you feel like you had proved something? Or raising the trophy, did you feel like you had proved something? Yeah, you know, I didn't even really realize that's what I said until uh, the press conference after. Um, you know, it was uh, Steph Curry's a hero of mine, and I loved what he said after he won um, the title this year. And so um, I knew what he meant by it, and, you know, not malicious or towards anyone in particular, but it was uh, it was just pretty sweet to do it the way that I did. Uh, before we started the interview, you mentioned you're a little bit tired. So how's the body and and how are you going to dig deep to put up another great performance this week? Yeah, I mean, this like I said, this is uh, this is what you work for. Um, you know, I'm going to be playing five weeks in a row and obviously it's nice to get that win. But, you know, like I said, job's not done. So looking forward to uh, teeing off tomorrow and getting right back on the horse and uh, be pretty fun playing with a guy that I've played with for literally the last 16 years. Well, Damon and Eamon, winning out here on the PGA Tour can be euphoric, but it can also be complicated. Uh, Will Zalatoris spent much of the day following his win, dealing with fallouts by comments made by a former key member of his team, Scott Fawcett. These comments were made on Twitter and con contained some very strong language towards broadcaster Dan Hicks and former Tour Pro Brad Faxon. Uh, 
Dan Hicks and Brad Faxon have critiqued parts of Zalatoris's game, but Zalatoris gave me this statement in response to what was said on Twitter, and he said, Scott Fawcett is not a paid member of my team. I in no way condone or support anything that was said in those tweets. I personally reached out to Dan Hicks and Brad Faxon and echoed that I don't condone what he said. Any interviews he's given have been unauthorized. He has tried to reach out to me, and I have not spoken to him. I'm thankful to him for everything he helped me with and the ups and downs in junior golf, but those statements are not a reflection of my values or me. And Will Zalatoris is looking forward to this week, as he said in this in the sound that you heard, refocusing on that unfinished he ha business he has in the FedEx Cup playoffs. Always so much drama outside the ropes these days. Kira, thank you so much for that. We will check back in with you a little later in the show. Let's take a look at Will Zalatoris' season in review. 23 starts he's made. A couple of days ago brought him his first win, three runner-up finishes, two of them in major championships, nine top tens, 13 top 25s, and five mixed cuts. And it's time to play a little version of buy or sell. As we welcome in Paige McKenzie. Paige, I want to start with you on buying or selling. Will Zalatoris wins a major championship in 2023? Okay, I have to qualify this. I have been on the Will Zalatoris train since 2020. I remember asking our producer at the time, Tim Killian, can I have two minutes to carve out to give some information on this guy on the Corn Ferry Tour that has been lighting it up recently? So I have followed Will. I am a huge fan of everything Zalatoris has done over the last couple of years, but I'm unfortunately gonna sell this one. Uh, there's a few more players that I'm looking at for the 2023 major season that I think might pick off majors before Will, Zal Will Zalatoris. So unfortunately, I'm gonna sell this one. Wow. Well, I'm, you know, Damien, you're gonna have to be the tiebreaker here because I'm buying this okay. one. You know, he's, he's been second in three of the seven majors that he's played. He's obviously tremendous and he's not intimidated or cowed at all in these big events. So you're gonna have to be the tiebreaker on this one. I, I'm, I'm actually buying this. His record's too good. He could have a sleeve of major championship victories right now. It's not like he wobbled down the stretch. He went out and made that par putt on the 72nd hole. Thought he made the putt on the 72nd at Brookline. You know, got into that playoff with Justin Thomas of Southern Hills. Listen, he plays his best on the most difficult golf courses that the best players in the world play every year. This is not an accident. This is a trend. I think now that he has a win on another big stage in the playoffs, a major championship is next. He calls himself, Paige, a major championship specialist and he's going to prove why in 2023. His game is certainly suited for majors, but I will argue the point that he did wobble coming in. Yes, he made those great putts, but we're also talking about a bogey putt after he hit it in the water, and we're talking about a par save after he blew his drive way right. He hit two fairways in his last, like, 14 holes. So it wasn't as steady coming in, so I will argue that point. Um, but I agree that his game is absolutely built for major championships, and he's already proved that. It's never pretty. I mean, winning majors is, is hard work, I'll tell you. <laughs> winning is win hard. <laughs> I know. Winning is hard. <laughs> it's hard. Well, how about this? Let me try this. Will Zaltorz will reach world number one at some point next year. Paige, you buying or selling? I'm going to sell. I'm going to sell that as well. Um, I, I know that we've got some really talented players at the top right now. You see Rory trending. You also see Scotty Scheffler with a good strong hold. I also am going to throw John Rahm 
back in the in the hat. I feel like it's been a bit of an off year, but not based on ball striking. So I think if you continue to do, or if he continues to do what he's done from tee to green, that John Rahm will be back in the mix uh, come next year as well. Mm. I'm with Paige on this one here. When you look at that list of names right there, there's so much quality that Will Zalatoris would have to get by, and all of them aren't going to sit in neutral mm. for a year either. And we saw on his season in review statistics that he's missed five cuts this year. He's When he's playing well, he's wonderful. When he's off, he's ice cold. And I think there are other guys who are just a little bit more consistent week in, week out than Will Zalatoris is, and probably just a little more prone to win mm. a little more often as well. All, all these guys miss cuts. I don't see Tiger Woods on that list. They're all missing cuts. And for the same reason, I think he'll win a major in 2023. I think he will also assume number one at some point, considering he plays his best golf on the toughest golf courses. And with this new OWGR official world golf ranking, he plays great against the strongest fields as well. With this new metric, new math, I think we've seen Rom. We've seen Scheffler rapidly rise. We've yeah. seen a DJ, a Rory. I, I think that Will Zalatoris is of that ilk. Josh Gregory told me they're modeling his game after DJ in that it can be a game that is consistently winning year in and year out on the PGA Tour. I'm actually going to buy that Will Zalatoris will reach number one in the world. Is he your new Tom Kim now that you're going to ride this pony as far as yes, going to take Tom you Kim through this Yes, Tom Kim and Zalatoris. You know, I, I like winners. I like winners. You know this. I'll give you a more short-term <laughs> buy or sell goal here, Paige. Does he win the FedEx Cup right now mm. this year? I'm, I'm selling this. Uh, I think the fatigue is likely going to be a factor. You talked about playing five in the row. Uh, just the adrenaline rush plus the letdown. I think he may be able to ride it through this week. I don't know uh, if he can get through Eastlake. I, I'm, I'm super excited to see how this playoffs is all going to shake out, but I do not have Will Zalatoris winning at all. How about you? What do you think? I'm still going with Xander. I, yeah. I think Will's... I, I'm fascinated to see what he does when you marry confidence uh, with the talent he has, and he finally does actually have that confidence that we've all been waiting to see. The, the freight train has finally rolled into the station. I'm, I'm just thinking that he's probably... He's not going to ride it for the next two weeks, though. I, yeah. There are too many points at stake now for winners in the next two events. Uh, it's no longer a matter of incremental changes. There are sea changes in the points for the next couple of weeks, and I think it's going to be tough for him to keep up. We've seen players go on tears in the playoffs before. Billy Horschel, VJ, Camillo, Rory. He's doing it again, Paige. But He's about I, to... I, I'm not. As much as I'm you know, saying Will's going to be great next year, I think right now... I'm not ready to, to let go of Scotty Scheffler, who sits, uh, you know, right behind Will Zalator. I still think that he has a lot to prove. As great as the year has been, doesn't want the season to end quietly. You've won four times. You've won the Masters. It's been an incredible year. But I still think back to 2015, I hope I'm right, in that we had an Aussie uh, pushing a, a Texan before and Jay Day not able to overtake speed for a FedEx Cup. I think similarly... Cam Smith and no one else will overtake Scotty Scheffler when it's all said and done in Atlanta. What, next week? And let's not forget that this is Will Zalatoris' first year in the FedEx Cup playoffs because he wasn't eligible for yeah. them last year, which is also part of the reason why that came up in the players' meeting last night in terms of this pathway for great talents because everyone knew mm. who Will Zalatoris was at this time last year. He finished yeah. second in the Masters a year before yeah. that and still wasn't in the playoffs. Next year, he's going to win the Masters.
and the playoffs <laughs> and be world number one. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Rory McIlroy was at the closed-door player meeting last night. He's about to speak with the media, and we'll be there to find out if he gives up any details of what was said. LPGA Tour veteran Angela Stanford will join us with some news from the site of her most recent win in her home state of Texas. And two great repositories of golf history will come together as Rich Lerner takes a tour of the USGA Museum. Golf Today continues now. Golf Today. Brought to you by PointsBet. It's the second leg of the FedEx Cup playoffs. A lot is on the line for players who are not only trying to advance to next week's Tour Championship, but position themselves to win the FedEx Cup. It's an unfamiliar venue this week as the world's best turnout for the BMW Championship in Delaware, the Wilmington Country Club, for the first time in its history. Welcome back into Golf Today. I'm Eamon Lynch alongside Damon Hack. And Damon, it seems as though tomorrow we get to talk about golf. Yesterday's drama seems to have spilled into today's fallout from the player meetings. That's the thing. This is the year of the fast-moving story. You know, take a little nap, close your eyes, you wake up, and, and something else has happened. And it just gets weirder and weirder yes. every day. Yes, in case our viewers missed anything that happened, lots happened. Who would have thought we'd have a Tiger Woods appearance this week at the BMW Championship? That's right, the 15-time major champ flew into Delaware yesterday from Florida to attend a player-only meeting to discuss the future of the PGA Tour. With more, let's welcome back Kira K. Dixon from Delaware. Kira, you spoke to a player who was in that very meeting. What did he say was discussed? Well, first of all, he gave me the details of the logistics of the meeting. He said it was at Hotel DuPont from 5 to 8.30 p.m. last night. 22 players were in attendance. 11 of those players had uh, they were able to participate in the original meeting that happened at Adair Manor in Ireland at the J.P. McManus Pro-Am. Those are names like Tiger Woods, Rory McIlroy, Jordan Spieth, Justin Thomas, Scotty Scheffler. And those original 11 invited in 11 additional players 
to participate in this meeting. They selected those players based off of world ranking and those that have a particular value to the PGA Tour, like Ricky Fowler, for example. Jay Monahan was not in the room, uh, but this player said that Jay is very glad that they are meeting in this fashion. And, they, and he said, look, this is our tour. We need to be advocates of it. And the main takeaways from this meeting was, one, that the best players in the world need to be playing against each other more often. Right now, they're really only playing against each other six or seven times a year. You take the majors and a few of the elevated events. So to only be playing against one another 30% of the time really help, hurts the PGA Tour product. And he also said that new faces need to be able to make it to the PGA Tour faster. He asked, why do they have to spend a year on the Corn Ferry Tour? Now, the original 11 players felt like they had a lot of great buy-in from the 11 new players that joined them. They came to some very solid decisions and actionable next steps that will be presented to PGA Tour executives. And when it comes to teeing it up with live players in the future, this player said he has no intention of doing that anytime soon outside of any majors that they might qualify for based on their official world golf rankings. Well, Kira, we also know that Tiger Woods was in attendance. Can you tell us more about his role in yesterday's meeting? Yeah, well, Tiger's role for the past 25 years has been playing golf. And as that has very much evolved and he's not playing as much golf, he's shifted to being a voice in the game and a voice for his legacy and the product that he's helped built on the PGA Tour. One player I spoke with said, look around, look at these build-outs. Tiger built this, and he wants to make sure that the PGA Tour continues to be the strongest place to play golf in the world and that they don't have to deal with these issues 50 years from now down the road. Well, what happens next, Kira? What happens now? That is an Excellent question, David. And you and I will probably have to sit back and watch and find out. Uh, one player mentioned to one of our producers that they do plan to continue meeting into the future. So I assume that these conversations will continue to take place and these players will continue to pull their collective power in, in their influence and make the PGA Tour a better product and a better place to play golf. No doubt that's what the membership wants. Kira K. Dixon reporting for us in Delaware. Now, moments ago, Rory McIlroy addressed the media in Delaware and spoke about Tiger's presence in last night's meeting. It's impactful, yeah. and I think it it shows how much he cares about the tour. I think it shows how much he, it, he cares about the players that are that are coming through and are, are going to be the next generation. Like, like it or not, you know, they can't really sell Tiger Woods anymore. They had tour had an easy job for 20 years. They don't, they don't have Tiger anymore. Yes, they've got a bunch of us and we're all great players, but we're not Tiger Woods. So, you know, it's a, we're moving into a different era and we just have to think about things a little differently. So what, so what role does Tiger play then? I mean, he is the, I mean, he's the hero that we've all looked up to and, you know, he's, his voice carries further than anyone else's in the game of golf you know and, and he, his role is navigating us to a place where we all think we should be so is his impact greater on on the tour or on on players and i'm i think i'm speaking mostly of, of the ones coming in behind you even um it's both i think he's carried the tour for a long long time i think we as players that were his contemporaries that are a little older than me, but even the, the guys that, that are coming behind, we've all benefited from that. Mm -hmm. But 
as I said, how can we, how can we keep benefiting from that going forward? Okay. <laughs> did, did Tiger take like a leadership position or was he just one of the guys talking? It, when, when you guys all met? I mean, I think it's pretty apparent that whenever we all get in the room, there's an alpha in there yeah. and it's not me. <laughs> is he, is, are, you are you surprised at all that he's taken this on? No, no, no. He cares a lot. Yeah. He cares a lot. Thanks, Rory. Sports fans tend to be an impatient bunch. Were there actionable steps potentially taken from what you guys discussed for three plus hours last night? That's what we're working through, right? What, what's the short term? What's the medium term? What's the long term? You know, and that's something that we have to have to figure out. Fascinating. And you thought the Tiger-Phil rivalry was a thing of the past. Phil Mickelson actively recruiting players to live golf. Here's Tiger Woods coming to the aid, the defense of the PGA Tour. And Roy McIlroy saying not surprised that Tiger would lend his voice to this fight. Are you? Not at all. And I think it was interesting what you saw there was a guy who, almost by default, because Tiger was recovering from his injuries for most of the last year and a half, Rory McIlroy was the guy who was sent out there to take the leadership position among players as to why Liv is bad for the PGA Tour, bad for, for global golf. And sometimes that was a lonely fight he had out there. He was kind of plowing a lonely furrow for a long time. It was interesting to see how quickly he stepped back and said, there's an alpha in the room, it's not me. Yeah. And, you know, he said, Tiger's voice carries further than anyone else's. He said, Tiger will navigate us to the place that we want to be. And this, to me, is a really interesting change in, in the messaging. And it'll be interesting to see what the public perception change of this is, because this is now Tiger Woods stepping into the breach and saying, this is a tour I helped build. This is where my legacy exists. I set the standard you're all going to be judged against, and I'm going to defend it. Yeah. And it's, it's so unusual, knowing what we've seen of Tiger for the last quarter century, it's yeah. not his normal role, is to step into something that is outside of the ropes. Right. He's avoided it his entire career, but he obviously realizes that this is an existential threat mm. to the PGA Tour and, and to the kind of ecosystem that exists in golf. And he's willing to step into that fight. Yeah. In the last part of that quarter century where we've watched and covered Tiger Woods, he has taken on this avuncular role to Justin Thomas and yeah. to Rory and to, to Tony Finau. And they look uh, to him not just as an oracle, but, but as the, a wise elder and as an uncle. And, and he's clearly invested in the future of the PGA Tour. And... There was thoughts, well, yeah, he, he was such a, an individual. He was such an assassin inside the ropes that mm -hmm. it's hard to, to picture him in this role when you think about the 82 wins and the 15 majors. But when you look at him now laughing with these young players and talking trash and, and mixing it up. Phil Mickelson's reputation was and public image was right? for so years while Tiger was considered the, yeah. the steely competitor. And now we seem to have... have yeah. something of a role reversal in there. And it's really interesting to watch who Tiger brings with him. Yeah, I Ricky mean, we've Fowler. heard for yeah. a long time that, you know, Ricky Fowler's out the door. That's been just simply one of the rumours that has gone around endlessly peddled by Live Golf itself, that, that Ricky was destined to head out there. And Ricky has been non-committal right. for quite some time in his public comments. But it, it will not have been reassuring 
at all for Greg Norman to look at that video yesterday and see Ricky Fowler getting off Tiger's jet, getting into mm. the passenger seat as Tiger drove them to that meeting because that is a pretty strong signal and the strongest signal we've had yet that where Ricky Fowler's kind of uh, loyalties lie at this moment. As Tiger Woods stood on the shoulders of Jack and Arnie before him, those players know, as Will Zalator said earlier, you look at the build-out of this place, these players know that the FedEx Cup playoffs are because of Tiger Woods, that, that the PGA Tour, the modern PGA Tour, with elevated purses and the best competition is because of Tiger Woods. And when he walks into that room, all those players grew up watching him. And if not, they saw him on YouTube. They know they're chasing the specter of his greatness. And when they have him in the flesh, it can't help but move them and really kind of reach them, you know, kind of in the soul. Yeah, well, they're competing for money that Tiger Woods put out there. Yes. The money came from Tiger. You go to the other side, you're competing for money that Mohammed bin Salman puts out yeah. there. Yeah. It's not really an athletic comparison here at all. Mm. Well, speaking of competing, 67 players in this field in Delaware this week. 67 will begin round one on Thursday. So you see, it's pairings now, as opposed to grouping Xander and Patrick Kelly, great friends, Sam Burns, Tony Finau, five wins between them this season. JT, Sung J M, Rory, we just heard from him. We're going to hear from him again, by the way. Sepp Straka, part of the picture in Memphis. Will Zalatoris and Scotty Scheffler, both out front in the FedEx Cup standings. Now, speaking of Rory, let's flash back to July. Four-time major champ came so close to adding another major to his name. Entered the final round, share of the lead. And while birdies were being made left and right, Rory shot a disappointing two under 70 in the final round, falling two shots behind Cameron Smith. Now, Rory made his first start since the Open last week in Memphis and before the first round admitted to taking some time away from golf. Sort of stayed in the UK for a couple of weeks after after the Open. Spent two weeks down uh, around the London area, which was really nice. Um, completely just got away from golf. I took two weeks off, didn't touch a club, didn't see the inside of a gym, probably didn't eat a vegetable. Um, sort of just two weeks of, of sort of vacation. And then I uh, was back in Florida last week and, and getting back into it. Um, and yeah, just sort of trying to get myself ready and prepared for, for the three weeks coming up. So, um, you yeah, know, it was nice to, nice to take that little break and, and felt like I needed it and uh, feel, feel refreshed and, and ready to go for, for the playoffs. Even out of the first cut. Well, some of the rust from that break showed last week as Rory failed to make the cut in Memphis. Seven bogeys over two rounds doomed him and he missed the cut by just one stroke. And it was only the second missed cut this season for the world number three. But that hasn't affected the odds at all. Let's take a look at this week's odds powered by PointsBet. Despite the miscut, Rory enters this week as the favorite to win the BMW Championship. Well, Paige McKenzie is back to answer this question. Disappointing season for Rory McIlroy? I would say that it has been a season with disappointments. But I don't think it's a disappointing season at all. Uh, when you consider he knocked off two wins, he put himself in position in all of the majors, uh, top 10 in all of the majors. Three of those were top fives where he very much was in the conversation to try to get another one of them. Yes, they had disappointments within them, but I don't think it's a disappointing season. In fact, I think you could look at his season and find a really big, glaring, bright spot 
and that was his putter. Uh, for a player that's been known for the strength of his driver throughout his career, uh, this year was a career year for his putter. Uh, when you look at the strokes gain over the last several seasons, uh, you can see he's spent more time outside the top 100 in his career than he has inside the top 50. Uh, back in 2017, you can see 159 improved to 97th. His best season up until this point was the 2019 season where he did, I will say, win the FedEx Cup, uh, then dropped back outside the top 100. 66th last year trending in the in the right direction and now sits 11th on the PGA Tour in strokes gained putting. So when Rory McIlroy looks back at this season, regardless of what happens over the next two weeks, I don't know how you could say it's disappointing when you have an area of his game that has been elevated in a place that it's never been before. Great stuff from Paige McKenzie, as always. And I'm in agreement. Shot 62 in the third round of the CJ Cup and one shot 62 in the final round. Canada, finding his voice in this PJ Tour live fight. Not to mention, Paige, you know, we talked to Rory at Brookline, very happy as, as a dad and on all of that. So I think overall 2022, he'll look back uh, as a good, good year. All right, folks, you can watch first-round coverage, by the way. 3 p.m. Eastern time, new golf course for these players. Wilmington Country Club, the south course. 3 p.m. Eastern, first-round coverage right here on Golf Channel. All right, folks, back in 2020, Angela Stanford won her seventh LPGA event at the Volunteers of America Classic, but the event getting a slight makeover this year. We'll tell you how and be joined by Angela herself after the break. Golf Central Update, brought to you by Callaway Golf. On Sunday, 22-year-old Maya Stark won the ISPS Honda World Invitational for her first win on the LPGA Tour. Stark's five-shot victory tied the largest margin of victory this season on the LPGA Tour, and her 10-under round of 63 on Sunday also tied the lowest final round to par by a winner this season. The LPGA Tour is off this week. They'll be in Canada at the end of the month for the CP Women's Open. The Dana Open presented by Marathon is the first week of September in Ohio, and then a brand new event, the Kroger Queen City Championship in Cincinnati. The race for the CME Globe continues. It does, Eamon, in late September, the LPGA heads to Old American Golf Club in the Colony, Texas for the Ascendant LPGA, benefiting Volunteers of America. It's a familiar event with a new title sponsor, which was announced today, including a purse increase to $1.7 million dollars that's big news now back in 2020 texas native angela stanford took home the title for her seventh career lpga tour win her first victory since that major 2018 amundi evian championship stanford shot a 467 the best of the day to win by two now angela joins us now from the dallas fort worth metroplex angela great to see you. you have a deep connection to this event how important is the news today of a new title sponsor in ascendant well it's great news um you know we've been here for five years at this particular venue and they've had their challenges uh with weather and dates and i'm so proud of them you know um mr mike king with volunteers of america um, he's really been committed, and now we have a new partner um, and Ascendant. And um, it was fun today at the media day. I think, you know, I think that was as many people as I've seen in a room here at the media day. So lots of excitement, lots of momentum. So it was, it was a fun day today. 
Angela, this tournament does mean something to you as well. It was your seventh win on the LPGA Tour. It came 17 years after your first victory, which is tremendous longevity out there because we tend not to see that many veterans win on the LPGA Tour. It really is a young person's game. What keeps you going at this stage of your career? Is, is it the desire or you still think there's another win there for you? You know, I think... I think there is some desire there. Um, I love to play the game. I love to try to get better. Um, so, you know, and I think things are going to change for me a little bit in the future. But, you know, I've been very fortunate to play this tour for 22 years. And it's given me so many things. And I don't know, I just love it. You know, I love the young players coming on tour. I, I think that's what makes it hard for veterans to win. I mean, as you just said, um, the young lady uh, who just won in Ireland, I mean, she shoots 10 under the last day. I mean. These young kids are really good, and it's great for our tour. You know, Angela, one thing that's been very consistent, LPGA pros, like, you guys really support each other. I think back to Val Skinner's event or Morgan Pressel's event, both fighting cancer. What has it been like to receive so much support for the Let Your Light Shine charity golf tournament? It's been amazing. You know, um, I've had girls, we've had anywhere from 16 to 20 LPGA players come in and play my event each year, and... And the ladies are great, but, you know, I think that's um, that's kind of our makeup, you know, on the LPGA Tour. We, you know, our pro-ams are extremely important to our sponsors and our partners, and it's just who we are. We do it great. We do it better than anybody in the world. And I'm so grateful that the ladies uh, show up for me once a year. That kind of team mentality obviously extends into the Solheim Cup, Angela. You've played on six teams. Is being a captain an ambition for you? For sure. Uh, I, I think that would be the greatest honor um, to, to get to be a captain of the Solheim Cup. So I hope so. You know, um, I, I really hope so. You know, Angela, you've been at this for a long, long time, uh, playing golf since childhood. You played 14 events so far this year. How much are you still in grind mode or how much are you starting to feel the urge to just do some other things outside of golf. I mean, Serena Williams saying goodbye uh, in tennis, pen this beautiful piece in Vogue, for example. Yeah, you know, I think um, I think it's been a tough year for me this year, um, losing my mom, and and I think you start to see that there are some things that are important. Um, and golf has always been extremely important to me, but you know, I understand I'm I'm getting a little bit older, and and things are changing, but. You know, that's okay. I, I've been extremely blessed. And whatever comes next, uh, I'll be excited about. And, and I, I hope it's in the golf field, for sure. Angela, we've heard a lot of rumors and reports recently that Live Golf might launch a tour opposite the LPGA Tour. And some players have expressed a lot of opposition to that. The, Carrie Webb, for instance, has been very vocal on it here on the show. What's your view on the possibility of that happening and what the reaction would be among your fellow players? Um, you know, first off, I'm thankful for somebody like Kari Webb. Uh, meant so much to our tour, and, and she's just awesome. Webby's one of my favorite players and people out here. So for her to stand up and, and believe in this tour, and, um, you know, that's a big deal. I, I do think Molly, as our commissioner, you know, she does need to explore different options if, if they come at her. Um, but the thing that I think is the most important is the longevity of this tour. You know, I, I, I don't. I don't want anything to, to break our momentum. You know, we've we've done amazing things, especially in the last five to seven years. So 
we have great momentum. Um, I, I really hope the players kind of stick together and we keep going. Um, our tour is in a very, very healthy spot right now. So, um, but, you know, I think Molly as commissioner, she, you know, she has to do what she has to do. And, but I, I think as players, we need to understand that we've come a long way, especially, like I said, in the last five to seven years, but even 10 years ago, this tour was very close to, to going away. Um, and Mike Wan put us back on the map really. So, um, and I, I've, I've seen all of it since 2001. So I hope the players understand that we've come a long way and, and we still have a ways to go. Angela, are you concerned at all with the turbulence in the men's game, for example, the lawsuits, uh, the Twitter back and forth? So how much are you paying attention to it or are you kind of staying in your own lane, as it were? Um, I think you have to pay attention. You have to kind of watch. Um, I'm fascinated by it. You know, I, I can feel and that the PGA Tour loyalists, loyalists have, um, like JT and and McElroy and all those that, that are in speed that are trying to stand up for the tour, I would feel the same way. You know, my I love my tour, and I love um, the life it's given me. So, you know, and I want my tour to be around for the next generation of women to have the same opportunities. So I, I totally get their frustrations and, um, and all the distractions that are coming with that. You know, it, it has to be really hard. Angela, we just saw the highlights of Maya Stark winning on the LPGA Tour at the weekend. And at the risk of making all of us feel old here, you turned professional in the year Maya Stark was born. <laughs> what advice would you give to somebody? What do you wish you'd known at Maya Stark's age that you know now heading through your career? Uh, you know, it's hard because I think when you're young, um, you just... It's, it's probably good to be naive. It's probably good to not know, uh, you know, all the things that I feel like I know now, older, you know, later in my career. Um, I would just tell them to keep chasing it. I, I think that's the one thing that I think I've been out here so long is because I've just, I've loved the chase. And, and I, you know, I hope she keeps, I hope all these young players chase it for as long as they can and enjoy it. Well, you chase. It doesn't last forever. That's what they need to know. <laughs> it, it doesn't. And you chase that major seemingly forever, Angela. I want to ask you four years later, how much did winning Evian, if at all, change your life? It changed it tremendously. Um, I, you know, I did chase it for a long time, but now looking back, I wouldn't have it any other way. I, it's been the greatest blessing that now at this stage of my career, I have some options that I wouldn't have had if I wouldn't have won that major. So uh, timing is everything. And I'm just, I feel very fortunate to, to have won that tournament and, and the things that it's allowed me to do later in my career. Well, Angela, it's always great to catch up with you. You are a fount of knowledge. We appreciate your time and hope to catch up with you soon. Thank you so much for having me. Love talking to you guys. After 23 events on the regular Corn Ferry Tour season, the top 25 players earn PGA Tour cards for the 22-23 season, which begins at next month's Fortinet Championship in California. Worth noting that all 25 players who entered the regular season finale stayed inside that Golden 25 and held on to their spots. And here are the 25 guys who made their tour cards for next year. Carl Yuan topped the list at number one on the eligibility points standing. Brandon Matthews in there at number 10, former guest on this show. There's a good mix of veterans and young faces. There's Ben Ann at number 13. He's heading back to the PGA Tour, as is a former winner at 19, Michael Kim. And rounding out the list, the top 25, 
Anders Albertson and the unlucky guy who finished just one spot out of the card mm. will try again in the finals, Brandon Harkins. No doubt. Now, this week, the tour moves to Idaho for the Albertsons Boise Open. Always birdies available, usually. This is the first event of the Corn Ferry Tour finals, featuring players ranked 1 through 75 in the Corn Ferry Tour regular season standings and players 126 to 200 on the PGA Tour's FedEx Cup eligibility list. Now, look at some of the notables you mentioned, Brandon Harkins. Harkins oh so close to getting it done in the regular season. Akshay Batia, who turned pro so young. Joe Bramlett, Stanford alum. Kevin Chappell, UCLA. Harry Hicks had that great run, by the way, you recall, the PGA Championship at Kiowa. Min Woo Lee, brother of Min G Lee. So why don't we kind of take our pick? You can do it at home as well. Expected to finish inside that 25, that all-important number. So tempting to pick Pearson Cootie, you know, the kid who won in his second start on the Corn Ferry Tour, but then he missed the cut in three of his last four tournaments out there, and that's really kind of what hobbled him from getting his card around. I'm, I'm going to go with a guy who wasn't even on that list of notables, Chris Nagel, the king of the Monday queue. Yes. We had Chris on the show a couple of weeks ago. He's Monday qualified, I think it was four straight events or five straight events he qualified in on the PGA Tour during the month of July. And he finished tight 16th. The John Deere was his best finish among those. Because, you know, when you've expended a lot of energy on Monday, it's pretty tough to <laughs> yes. regroup and start to play against the world's best by Thursday. But to me, he's the real, as like I said to Jay Croucher earlier, I'm a sucker for a Cinderella story. Yeah. And I can't imagine there'd be a better one than Chris Nagel. He's only had six starts on the Corn yeah. Ferry Tour this year, five starts on the PGA Tour, and he earned every one of them. I know there's questions about, you know, how quickly some of these players will rise to the PGA Tour, and that was a talking yeah. point in last night's meeting. I think this tour and these finals are very important. I love these stories, and you said it beautifully, that it's a mix of young players and veterans looking for another bite of the apple. And, and I think it's, a, it's an important part, in my mind, of the professional golf ecosystem. I also love the stories of families. That's why I'm going with Min Woo Lee, someone who won the Genesis Scottish Open back in 2021. Been a think little he's bit, got a little inspiration I now? think he does. I mean, Min Ji Lee tearing it up on the LPJ. You know, Min has been a little inconsistent this season. He's played very well in the major championships, T21, for example, at the Open, T27 at the U.S. Open, T14 at the Masters. So he's got a little bit of big game hunter in him, and I think he's going to be one of those guys to emerge and get inside that top 25. I've talked to some guys who've hit balls next to him on the range of PGA Tour events, and they do think there's a special talent mm. in there. Of course, it's just not easy to actually capitalize on that at this stage in his career and, and make that next leap. Yeah, it was fun to watch because he was at the Masters, and Minji Lee was outside the ropes watching Min Woo Lee. And I thought that was pretty cool. And it's like, hey, you know, <coughs> we see siblings throughout sports for time memorial push each other, be motivated by one another. I would have to think with his talent and great swing, and even beyond that, I think he's a player who's proven to be a winner on the DP World Tour. Mm -hmm. going to find a way to get it done and get that card. Next year's court is, perhaps? Eh. You've seen it happen before. Why not? The Williams sisters, perhaps? You know, we've seen Lanny Watkins and brother Bobby. Yeah, I mean, it, we've seen it happen. You've seen it happen before. And certainly Minji Lee set a, a bar that's a, a pretty high one mm. for her brother to aim at. Absolutely. Well, lots to watch this week. It's an important time of the year, as you know, so keep it locked here on Golf Channel U.S. Amateur, as we've told you. 3 p.m., you got streaming coverage, and then 4 p.m., 
right here on Golf Channel. So Peacock, you can do Golf Channel, you can do. You got the Czech Masters starts tomorrow, BMW Championship tomorrow, Albertsons Boise Open tomorrow. Then on Friday, Dick's Sporting Goods. That is, of course, on PGA Tour Champions. And then next week, we want you to watch Golf Channel as well because Billy Andrade is going to be honored as the recipient of the 2022 Payne Stewart Award presented by Southern Company on Golf Channel Tuesday, August 23rd at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. And 64 amateurs are looking to join the elite company of Bobby Jones, Jack Nicklaus, Arnold Palmer, and Tiger Woods by winning the U.S. Amateur Match Play underway. And after the break, we get a preview from Rich Lerner and John Cook. Back on Golf Today, this week, Ridgewood Country Club in Paramus, New Jersey, plays host to the 122nd U.S. Amateur as the game's best amateur players vie for the Havermeyer Trophy. After two rounds of stroke play on Monday and Tuesday, the field has been cut to 64 players for the beginning of match play today. And for a preview of the action, we send it down to the two men who will be on the call this week. John Cook, who won the amateur in New Jersey in 1978, and his partner, Rich Lerner, who never quite found the same magic at the family driving range back in Allentown, <laughs> Pennsylvania. Over to you guys. All right, Eamon, thank you. Yeah, John Cook, 1978, not far from here. Plainfield, Plainfield Country Club. You're going to go over there Friday afternoon yeah. after our telecast. You did play here, 1974. How old were you then? I was 16. It was it was barely in color television, if I remember, <laughs> but I was 16. And I know you beat uh, the great Philadelphia amateur yes. at the time, O'Gordon Brewer. O'Gordon Brewer, the, the head head honcho yep. at Pine Valley. So. And Jerry Pate went on to win. Yes, that yes, was a U.S. amateur field that had, including yourself, many <laughs> yes. future PGA Tour stars. Uh, how about this golf course? Yeah. I mean, it's it's all you want. It is all you want. I was just walking around, talked to some you know, college coaches and some players, and they say, uh, John, what do you what do you think of the golf course? Is it U.S. Open caliber? I go, heck yeah, it is. It's US long. Open. U.S. Not open. U.S. Open caliber. High rough. A lot of holes that you know go right to left, left to right. You got to shape the ball off the tee. You got to put the ball in the fairway. It is very old school. Uh, A.W. Tillinghast, absolute mm -hmm. gem. The one thing that's interesting in, in match play, usually you're, you know your birdies are going to win holes. There's going to be a lot of pars winning holes out here at uh, at Ridgewood just because there's a four through 11 are all the golf Tough. hole you yeah. want and pars are going to win some of those holes you take advantage of some of the other ones but pars are going to win holes yeah. they're saying around here that pars are your pal fairways are your friends yes. here at uh, <laughs> at ridgewood so matches we're looking forward to this afternoon i want to start with the ncaa individual champion out of vanderbilt uh, gordon Sargent against his old high school yeah, teammate from birmingham alabama uh, ford clegg who plays at mississippi state you did have a chance you were on the call at the nc two ways uh, what did you come away with after having seen Sargent? Gordon Sargent, a wonderful freshman year at, at Vanderbilt, uh, walked away with the NCAA individual title. Long, lanky kid, hits it forever, straight up in the air, very, very athletic. He will get better and better as time goes on, taking on his old teammate, uh, Ford Clegg from uh, Mississippi State. That's going to be a wonderful match to and watch. And then Ricky Castilli, who's trying to bounce back, a little bit of a, a yep. funk at the University of Florida, seems to have found his footing yep. against uh, the number two-ranked uh, player in the World Amateur Golf Rankings. That is uh, Ludwig Aberg uh, from Texas Tech. And what Ludwig is a wonderful player. We got to see him play quite a a bit uh, in the NCAAs. Ricky uh, was that uh, junior phenom out of California, yeah. and Florida, Florida Gators like stole uh, <laughs> Ricky right out of Southern Cal. But, uh, you know, 
was a Walker Cup player. You got to remember that too. Mm -hmm. But he had hasn't really played up to his potential lately. Until lately, he's playing a lot better. So that'll be a very very good match. I always say if it has U.S. in front of it, title of of a championship, right. it has more meaning. Uh, you would know. Uh, you beat Scott Hoke in 1978 at at Plainfield. So what was the significance of the U.S. Amateur title? for you well that year I was not the best amateur in the world Bobby Clampett by far was the best amateur um, but it, it showed me that I was improving at what I was doing uh, all through college uh, through that summer I played played better won the amateur and it opened a lot of doors for me uh, it got me in professional events it got me in the US Open got me in the Masters got me in Bay Hill mm -hmm. later that that fall after I won I got me in the World Series of Golf at Firestone and so I got to show you know, myself or what I can do against the professionals and see if I was going to be able to fit in and learn and was that going to be my next step. I didn't know at the time if this was going to be my next step. So it, it opened a lot of doors for me and, uh, you know, it, it proved to be very uh, uh, very it, rewarding, it, I must it say. Told, it told you you could play. You know who said the same thing? Arnold Palmer yeah. back in 1954 when he won the U.S. Amateur yeah. in Detroit. It's one of the great events of the year on the golf calendar, the U.S. Amateur, and what a test at Ridgewood. Let's go back to Damon and Eamon. The dulcet tones of Rich Lerner and John Cook this afternoon streaming on Peacock at 3 p.m., 4 p.m. on Golf Channel. Love Ridgewood, by the way, the five and dime hole, 291 yard, par four. I've never figured out that one. You can watch Thursday, rounds of 32, 16, Friday, the quarter, Saturday, semis, 3 p.m. on Golf Channel, then 2 p.m. Sunday, the championship match right here on Golf Channel. Now, last week, Will Zalatoris, I mean, 56 start, able to get it done. Starting the playoffs the way you want to do it. First ever victory on the PGA Tour. Emotional afterwards with our Rex Hoggard. And, you know, been criticized about his game. And scoreboard, baby. That's what they say for Will Zalatoris. Let's take a look now with this win. FedEx Cup standings, the top 15. All within 2,000 points of Zalatoris, which is how many points the winner will earn at Wilmington Country Club. Remember, though, this is a no-cut event, which means the players at the top will earn points when they finish 72 holes. So the top spot in the FedEx Cup standings gets a head start, as you may recall, at East Lake. They begin at 10 under par. So here's a look at how those players have finished in the current staggered scoring format. Some of the game's biggest names gave their thoughts on the playoff format this week. I've made my position on that clear in the past. I don't think it's the best system. You don't get to the Super Bowl and the team with a better record starts with a two-touchdown advantage. I think it's absolutely ludicrous, but it's the best choice we have right now. Hang on, sorry, get the microphone. Or Djokovic didn't have a one-set advantage over, over Kyrgios at Wimbledon. But I understand that's how the playoffs are made. I understand it's easier for the viewers and for us to know what's going on. Because I've spoken to past champions, and sometimes they would be on 16 and they didn't know like, oh, if I make one birdie, I win the FedEx Cup. If not, this can happen. It was a bit confusing. So I understand that aspect of it, but it's, you know, it's a bit odd that you just are given certain. I, I've said it a couple of times before, but I think it's, it's good for what we have right now. I don't know what the solution is. Well, it's changed so many times. I'm not sure anyone's got the perfect formula yet. Um, I'm not sure. It's hard to do playoffs in golf. Um, I think we've seen that, and I'm not really sure. I think there's there's got to be smarter people than me that that 
have more experience putting this on together or putting this on than um, um, it's just it seems to be tweaked every year and I'm not necessarily sure why I mean we went to the everyone starts at a different uh, score to par a couple years ago uh, that still feels strange to me um, it is a little clearer to watch on TV because you only have the one tournament going on but you lose the fact that it's a, the tour championship is kind of gone uh, which I think is a, a shame, really. I actually liked it when it was the, the points, and you kind of knew if you were in the top five and you won that you know you had control of your own destiny, and if not, it was up to whatever Steve Sands said. Um, I kind of li liked it. If you were following it, you definitely knew what was going on. We would have never had Tiger winning the Tour Championship if it weren't for that two-event-style championship down the stretch. Tiger would have just finished eighth in the FedEx Cup. That would have been weird considering the scene we saw around that green. Um, like I said, playoffs is obviously a, a challenge in golf, and I'm not sure anyone's figured it out, the perfect formula yet. In my personal opinion, I think I was laughing last year at the scenario that Colin had such a fantastic season, and he finished outside the top 20 or something on the Actually, FedEx. Yeah. And to me, that's, like, unfair. And and then, likewise, this year, Will, uh, no, not Will, Scotty's won four times, Cam's won three times, and those seven events aren't, like, small events. They're some of the best events in the world, and those they're behind Will now. And, again, nothing, not taking it away from Will, but I just think it's, like, it's a bit, it's a bit too much. Like, those, in my opinion, those two should be kind of running away with it, and it's kind of a two-horse race. And now there's more people in in the mix, which I get. That's the whole point. The playoffs it's exciting, but as a player, when you've worked hard all season, to to then not be rewarded for you know the whole season performance, it's it's yeah, it's a tough one. Is that fair? Do you think, based on the way they they reset and it's one big tournament at the end, that if you just have your worst week of the year, it's costing you a lot of money? No, I don't think it's fair. No, I don't think it's fair. But life isn't fair, so you know. But uh, no, I think I think. Um, listen, I get I get why it's been done. It's done to make it more exciting, throw people in the mix a little bit more. Um, but in terms of you know, people who deserve what their performance has showed all year long, um, I think like you say, there's been a, there's two three examples now that. Um, haven't been rewarded for, for the, the, the play the whole season. Time now for Fair or Foul with Paige McKenzie. So, Paige, we heard Fitzpatrick said unfair. Strange, says Patrick Cantley. Ludicrous, says John Rahm. I don't think he was talking about the rap group when the world is in that bag, what you got <laughs> in that bag. Are the players being fair or foul in their comments about the playoffs? I think they're being fair. I, I just think that we're in a, a weird place where – it is a season-long race, but it's so it's not truly playoffs. I think a lot of people are still in their mind expecting it to be reflective of the entire season, and that's not what playoffs often do. If that was the case, then the winner of the Super Bowl would be the team with the best record, and that's not the case. Uh, you can have an okay season and end up winning the Super Bowl, and I think that's where players need to figure out whether they truly want a season-long race or they're okay with a playoff system because I don't think they're the same thing. 
you think, Eamon? Because, you know, I love the, the point by Rom. You know, Djokovic doesn't get an game, extra game over Kyrgios in the Wimbledon final. Yeah, I think Paige hits on the, on the key point here is where is the line between the regular season and the postseason? Because yeah. in every other sport, we're accustomed to this idea that the regular season, other than maybe a home field advantage in the first game, doesn't really give you anything. In the postseason, it doesn't count for anything. But the tour hasn't really made that demarcation very clear because the season that you had still counts in the playoffs in terms of points accumulated. Right. These events just count a little more. So we have a situation where Will Zalatoris, who wins the first playoff event for his only win, vaults, vaults over Scotty Scheffler, who's got four. And it starts to feel with, with fans, and certainly when you get to East Lake and they've got the staggered scoring system, it starts to feel like a little thumb on the scale a little yeah. bit too much. And I, I've argued that there's a danger of cheapening the victory by having that staggered scoring system yeah. a little bit. I'd rather see something like the, you know, as we'll see next year, when, when 70 guys make the playoffs instead of 125, that only the top 50 yeah. finishers in that tournament, regardless of any points tallies before, if you finish in the top 50 in the FedEx St. Jude next year, you get to the BMW. If you mm. finish in the top 30 in that field, you make it to Eastlake, and you kind of fight for your life every week. I just think this inability to denote where the regular season impact ends yeah. and where the postseason begins is a little too confusing. I mean, Patrick Kentley won the thing last year, and he's not comfortable with it. John Rahm has contended, won in the playoffs, not comfortable with it. And I wonder, Paige, I, I look at other sports, whether it's a bye week for the, the team that goes 14-2, and two, they get to rest, for example. I just have a problem when Xander Schauffele, if you look at the OWGR, is awarded a win, you know, and win, and the points for a win – even that, though Dustin Johnson yeah, certain, well, you know, won the FedEx Cup. Yeah, certainly, I think the staggered start in the world ranking, there, there's some conflict there because uh, having a lowest 72-hole total and winning a golf tournament are very different in that scenario pressure-wise. Uh, but I would also suggest that the paradigm that we're looking at this through, the lens that we're looking at through in, are a baseball, a basketball, a football, where it is a head-to-head -head sport. I think it would be more beneficial if we're going to compare golf playoff system to what NASCAR does. Uh, and I'm not a NASCAR aficionado. I'm not super familiar with what they do, but they also do have a regular season point system that carries over to playoff point system. So I think that might be a better comparison for those of us that are still grappling with what's the best way forward is maybe compared to a sport that's more uh, less head-to-head in -head versus one versus the field. It's a great point you make, Paige, and the inspiration for the FedEx Cup originally was the NASCAR race. I remember I was reading old Tim Fincham transcripts this morning. Paige, thanks for your contributions throughout this show. We appreciate it. We'll speak to you soon. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. Well, we're getting closer to the start of the BMW Championship while the drama outside the ropes just has no end. Ryan Lavner will join us to discuss both when we return. Oldest non-major championship on the PJ Tour has played in Delaware for the first time. Top 68 players in the FedEx Cup eligibility list advance to the second event of the playoffs. First round coverage of the BMW Championship underway tomorrow at 3 p.m. Eastern time. And with more on the second leg of these playoffs, welcome in Ryan Lavender from Wilmington, Delaware. Lav, it's always great to see you, my friend. A lot of buzz today about this player meeting from last night. What are the main takeaways in your mind? 
Damon, I gotta say, it has been an arduous journey trying to get just any sort of minute details from this player meeting on Tuesday. One player told me that guys basically signed a blood oath that they would not divulge any details about 24 hours later. But the biggest takeaway after talking to a bunch of players today is that all of these marquee names on the PGA Tour are swimming in the same direction. That is difficult to do. These players are uh, selfish by nature as competitive golfers. You also have an environment now in which you could have other ambitions and other opportunities that you wanted to pursue. And so it wasn't lost on anyone that they're all trying now to kind of put aside their personal responsibilities and really just try and better the tour. Was this overdue? That's kind of been one of the criticisms that these top players had not gathered before. You obviously had the meeting at Adair Manor, uh, 11 of them last month. Now you had 22 players uh, who gathered here uh, in Wilmington to have this meeting. Was it overdue? Potentially, but now they have a strong core of PGA Tour supporters who are making actionable steps to make a difference for the PGA Tour. Brian, you talked about how unusual it is to get uh, PGA Tour golfers all swimming in the one direction and singing from the same hymn sheet. How much of an impact did Tiger Woods' presence have on creating that kind of dynamic? Every player I talked to today, Eamon, said that it was uh, enormous. It was, it was the biggest difference in why this meeting felt different than the one that potentially was a dare manner with a smaller group of players, even though Tiger was there as well. He easily could have done this uh, over Zoom at home in his, in his house in South Florida, but decided to jet up to Delaware along with Ricky Fowler, even though they were not playing in this tournament. Justin Thomas uh, said it showed just how important it was for Tiger. Will Zalatoris called him the most important voice in sports, not just golf. And Rory called him the undisputed alpha who was in the room last evening. And so if Tiger Woods wants something to get done, it's very likely to do so. These PGA Tour players having his support, having Tiger's blessing, having Tiger's direction uh, was critical uh, to, to moving forward with the betterment of the PGA Tour. All right, Lav, from a Stanford alum to a Cal Berkeley alum, Colin Morikawa still winless this season. Where is he with his game? Yeah, Damon, I caught up with Kyle Morikawa uh, on the practice range here yesterday at Wilmington Country Club. He told me, look, it's been a very frustrating season. He's 20th in the FedEx Cup. It's kind of unheard of in his short uh, career to this point. He has a couple of good major finishes, but he said anyone could have done that blindfolded. But the week before, uh, he headed to Memphis for the FedEx St. Jude Championship. He noticed something rotationally that he was doing wrong. He obviously hits that cut shot, and that's reliant on a lot of clearing and a lot of knees and a lot of hips and everything working and firing in the right direction. He noticed, he noticed that rotationally he was not where he needed to be. His tr three trainers from L.A. flew out to Vegas. They worked for those past couple of days uh, before the Memphis tournament. They got him where he wants to, and he said he is absolutely seeing that cut shot again. He's no longer just trying to make it work with either a straight shot or even a little bit of draw. And also, when it comes to Kyle Morikawa, he has switched back to the conventional putting grip. That's a little bit of a surprise because he's gained about 100 spots in strokes gained putting year over year since switching to that saw grip. But he said, look, I putted well uh, with a conventional grip in the past. Sometimes you just need to make a change. So Kyle Morikawa hitting the cut, back to the conventional putting grip. Uh, he's looking for big things to close out these playoffs. Brian, Rory McIlroy is out there as well, coming off a missed cut last week. He'd taken a couple of weeks off after the Open, said he didn't hit, touch a club, didn't go to the gym, didn't eat a vegetable. What's his preparation looking like this week? <laughs> Yeah, Eamon, it has certainly been a little bit longer than he would have liked. Now, he arrived in Wilmington on Friday night after missing the cut at the playoff opener. He said he has been to the golf course every day since Saturday. His family is in 
truck at a cabin. He said if he had gone on the, the family trip with them, he would not have been able to practice, would not have been able to play, and he's not at a point right now in his preparation where he wanted to do that with just two weeks left uh, in this PGA Tour season. So he came here early. He said that he absolutely likes this golf course. It is tailor-made for his skill set. He can hit at 330. He can cover the bunkers. He can fly it. Uh, he can uh, kind of dissect these uh, extremely large greens into those small sections. So I anticipate, and Roy does as well, uh, that Rory is going to play well this week because this is a golf course at Wilmington Country Club that is certainly tailor-made for his skill set. Rory looking for a third FedEx Cup title. Here's suit. Ryan Lavner reporting <laughs> from Delaware. Appreciate the time, buddy. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs>